On the 24th of December 2008 in Covina, Los Angeles, at 11.25pm, a man dressed as Santa Claus knocked on a door occupied by about 25 people with a gift wrap packet containing a homemade flamethrower and two 9mm semi-automatic handguns. He also had two additional semi-automatic handguns in his possession. This is the case of the Covina Massacre. Hello and welcome to Curiously Morbid Podcast, a podcast for the curiously morbid people out there. This week we are doing the Covina Massacre, which took place on Christmas Eve, as you've heard, um, in 2008. So, Dean, thoughts on the opening? Um, I feel like this is going to be heartbreaking. And you, that was a lovely cold open, by the way, because I'm very, very intrigued about all of this. But I feel like it's going to be horrendously sad. Yeah, it is. It is pretty sad, to be fair. Um, and it's quite a lot of it is the build up. Like what actually happened happens very quickly. Um, but the the build up of the events to what happens, um, is really like where the majority of the story is. Um, and it's all like these little events, you know, like that keep happening, and and you can kind of see that something really bad was going to happen, and then and then it does. It happens. It's it's quite bad. It's horrifying, really. Okay, let's get down to it then. Let's get straight down to it. So, the authorities were alerted to an attack in the early hours of Christmas Day by a frantic 911 call made by one of the victims who had escaped. They were told of a tall male dressed as Santa Claus who had stormed into a family Christmas party and randomly began to open fire. Dispatchers rushed to 1129 Nolcrest Drive and were met with flames of 50 foot. It took 85 firefighters and an hour and a half to extinguish the flames before they could even get inside. Witnesses told law enforcement that the man responsible for this was called Bruce Jeffrey Pardo. So, like, pretty much from the offset, it's not really, like, a mystery of any kind. They knew who it was, like, straight away. Everyone could easily identify him. Um, And obviously, like, they knew what he'd done straight away as well because the evidence was there for all to see. Okay. I know, and it was pretty horrific. Like, if you think about like the fifty foot flames as well, that's that. I can't even like comprehend seeing that in real life. You know, like being a firefighter and having to go and deal with something like that. Like, oh my god. And I hope we never ever will. No, I know, and like the manpower. So just one person like caused like eighty five firefighters needing to go and like you know like save a house. It's crazy that just madness i don't like it i don't like it especially and, uh, after, especially after we did that episode on um the fire you know at the nightclub it's just it's so uh, it's so scary did, it's horrifying did, isn't it oh uh, that was heartbreaking that one if you haven't listened to that one please go and listen to it and yeah. learn about that nightclub because that was tragic yeah uh, anything just, to do with fire i yeah. hate fire is so it's just like oh no i don't like it it's one of the natural elements and it's just something it's something that's like can be so uncontrollable it's horrible oh i hate it isn't it weird that like fire is natural i know that everything's natural but like there's like fire that's natural out in the wild yeah yeah like a wildfire yeah crazy like fire happens yeah Fire happens. Uh, sorry. Well done, <laughs> Fire happens. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm comprehending that in my head now. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, like fire is something that happens. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this. No, yeah, but seriously though, natural disasters are probably like one of my number one fears. Like because they're just like they're uncontrollable. There's nothing you can do about it. It's gonna happen. And like that's why like I like I could not be a firefighter. Like I salute firefighters so much. They deserve all the money, all the stuff, because that is so scary to run into a, a building or something like that selflessly oh god i just it makes it literally makes me feel like you know like i can feel my heart starting to race and stuff when i'm talking about fire i hate it hate it but the sad thing about this case is that there's lots of things that were actually preventable yeah oh my god so many so many because like we were saying before it lots of it you could see that there was a clear build up towards these events so go on gail tell me more so Bruce Jeffrey Pardo was described by people who knew him as a bright and charismatic person and he worked as a software engineer. Although he had been known to hack into other employees' systems and access their personal information as well as having really poor attendance. So already, even though he's got like this charismatic sort of vibe, that for me that that's kind of like a red flag already. Like because that's just not that's so inappropriate um, and that's going to come in again in a, in a little bit so oh. in 1988 at the age of 24 Pardo got engaged to a woman named Delia Delia paid for most of the couple's expenses because Pardo's income wasn't really very good um, and on the ju- on June so, and on the 17th of June 1989 they were supposed to be married that day but Delia was actually left at the altar by Bruce. And it was, <gasps> yeah, I know. And it was then uncovered that Pardo had taken $3,000 from their bank account and just went and spent it on a random vacation for himself to Palm Springs. Um, so unsurprisingly, this relationship ended. <laughs> what a bastard. I'd can you him. imagine that? Like, can you imagine? And that's probably all of her savings as well, because she's the one who's paying for everything. And one, it's the embarrassment of getting left at the altar. And two, then being like, oh yeah, I just spent it on like a little holiday for myself. Like, what the hell? What What is wrong with someone that does that? It's just crazy. <laughs> just a holiday for me. Yeah, no, 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 holiday for me. So this is like the second like sort of like douchey thing that he's done. Like obviously he's spying on like people he works with and getting their personal information. And then, you know, he's done this to his like in his first ever relationship. But it does, it gets worse. It gets much, much worse, much quicker. So, in 2001, at the age of 37, he was now living in Woodland Hills, California, with his girlfriend, Eleanor, and their son, Matthew. Pardo was looking after their son, and while he was watching TV, the child wandered into the garden and fell into their family swimming pool. When Eleanor, Yeah. When Eleanor came home, she found Pardo holding Matthew in his arms, screaming. After one week in intensive care, the doctor said Matthew would never fully recover, and the couple split up shortly after this. Pardo disappeared from his son's life, leaving Eleanor to look after their paraplegic and brain-damaged son alone, and he never had contact with them again after this. I know. So, again, huge douchebag, again. I don't, I don't even know what to say there. That is I know. Like... It's, it's shocking, isn't it? When I was doing this case, obviously the main sort of thing I thought would be the you know like the main event that that happens that we're going to talk about but this absolutely i was like what on earth but the important thing to note here is that his mom so jeffrey Pardo's mom did stay in contact with the child and the mother and she really like she really liked um 
Eleanor and obviously like loved her, her grandchild as well. Um, and so despite him having no contact with them, she still kept in regular contact and that's going to come in um, in a little bit as well. What a queen. Yeah, she, so a queen. Is she, is she, she queen? She doesn't she queen? just desert people. So three years later in 2004, Pardo met the 40-year-old mother of three, Sylvia Orzo, and by the 29th of January 2006, they were married and bought a new home together. They attended, they attended church where Pardo regularly volunteered as an usher. The couple began to argue over finances and personal issues and the final straw was when Pardo's mother revealed to Sylvia that Pardo had a son and also what happened to him under Pardo's care as well, obviously, because he was at home watching the TV when his son fell into the pool. Um, she also disclosed this to her that even though Pardo had nothing to do with the son, he actually was still claiming him as a dependent for tax purposes, which is just vile, isn't it? So he's got no communication with his son or like his ex-girlfriend at all, doesn't help towards any expenses for him. And I mean, that's hard enough anyway, but in America, that's so much harder because they don't have like a benefit system like how we have and, you know, like things like that. So that would be hard anywhere, but in America as well, I imagine being a single mum to a child who needs a lot of care, that's like even harder. Do you know, like it's just, it's very, yeah. And and then the fact that he's then claiming him on his taxes, it's just like, that's so, it's just so vile, isn't it? It's just gross. Like it speaks to the type of person he is. So... After, obviously, she told Sylvia this, um, Sylvia was, like, horrifically mortified and because the relationship had been a bit rocky anyway and they were arguing, this was, like, the final sort of straw for her and she thought, right, I'm filing for divorce. And so, in 2008, that's what she decided to do. That's mad. All these relationships that he's managed to, like, work his way into. I know. I know. It's, it's, well, that's the thing. And, like, so he's obvious. Well, if you think about it, though, he was described to people as being charismatic. So I suppose that sort of initial facade lasts, but only lasts for so long. Um, and then, obviously, his, his other side comes out. Yeah, he sounds like an absolute creepy bastard. Yeah, he re- yeah, he really does. So on June the 13th, Pardo went to Gunworld, a shop in Bearbank, and paid nearly a grand for one 9mm handgun. Then on June the 18th, a judge ordered Pardo to pay £1,785 per month in spousal support while this divorce proceeding was going through. His first payment bounced and he cancelled all future payments. And on <gasps> July the 31st, Pardo was then fired from his job for fraudulent activity and he applied for unemployment compa- compensation. However, he didn't get this either because he'd been fired and so his application was denied because you, you can't get um, unemployment uh, compensation if you've been fired in America. Um, uh, you, you can't hear yet. If you leave your job here, it takes longer, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So he, um, yeah, so you can kind of see like the a lot of stresses are starting to come into place because obviously his mum has kind of like grasped him up for obviously his douchey behaviour from his previous marriage. As she should. As She's she not should, a grass. Yeah, that information should be disclosed. Um, so, and then obviously he's lost his relationship there. Um, and then now he's having to pay money and spousal support that he obviously doesn't want to pay. 
Um, but by the way, if you can go and spend nearly a grand on a handgun, I'm pretty sure you can probably afford your spousal support. Oh. You know, honey pay, honey pay. Come on, come on. Um, and then obviously now he's been fired and he can't actually access any kind of compensation. So you can kind of see that there's a sequence of events that are all starting to align oh. and and affect him. So. On the 8th of August, he returned to Gunworld and bought another 9mm handgun. California gun laws state that you can buy one per month. So on September 8th, Pardo went and bought a third from the same store. He then called his neighbour who owned a costume store um, and ordered, ordered a Santa Claus costume saying it was for a children's party and it had been custom made for his 6 foot 4 inch and 270 pound frame. Um, it was custom fit to him and he wanted it a little bit loose as well. So it was custom fit and then with a little bit of extra space. Um, and he promised to to return to buy this suit in the November. So, all so he's this, got all that custom suit money then, has he? Uh, yeah, well, exactly. And also, it wasn't a cheap suit. It cost him about £300 as well in total. On October 11th, he purchased a fourth weapon from the same store. Right, this is what is getting me. The same store, the same guy is coming in once a month, pretty much around that date, the 8th. So he's waiting until like yeah. literally the day he can go and do it. This he's is the fourth. This is the fourth time he's done it. Like, why aren't any kind of. And I don't want to get into like a big gun law thing in America because we know it's shite. But why isn't anything being done about that? Why isn't that being raised or flagged? Why can you go and buy it once a month? Do you know what I mean? Because that probably happens all of the time. Yeah, this is showing, like, clear preparation for something, isn't it? Like, if you're going and doing it repeatedly, who needs to buy a 9mm handgun once a month? And it's the long game, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. But they they probably encourage that. They probably think, like, he's a really good customer, so, like, wouldn't ever flag it because they're like, oh, he comes, oh, my God, he's such a nice guy. He comes every month to buy a gun. Yeah, I know, and it's just, oh, it's just creepy. And the fact that they have shops in America, like, called Gun World. You know, like, we've got Palm World, not Gun World. <laughs> <laughs> it's, Palm it's not the same. Like, but that's what I mean. Like, it's in America that it's, like, just normal to have a shop called Gun World. That is so bizarre. <laughs> you also so buy, the, buy them in Walmart. That's what I mean. I it's just it. so weird. Could you imagine going the Alster? And they're being like a gun section. It oh, honestly, it's bizarre. That is so bizarre. Ah, I don't know how true this is, but I also don't think they sell alcohol in this in their like Walmart. You have to go to a separate store to buy alcohol, oh, but you can buy stupid. a gun there. That is so stupid. That's stupid. Anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> he was then contacted by an old school friend who was called Steve Irwin, not the Steve Irwin, a different Steve Irwin. Okay, I was gonna say, are we about to tarnish <laughs> Steve Irwin here because? Not He's the a legend. Steve Irwin, not the legend. Um, no, just another guy called Steve Irwin. He lived in Canada. So he was his old high school buddy um, and he'd called him up to basically come and celebrate his 45th birthday over in Canada where he lived. So when Pardo arrived, he told his friend about the divorce um, and said that he'd been sat at home at months sort of like thinking about it and stewing over it. Um, and obviously that is not a good thing for anyone to be doing um like thinking about you know like that sort of a negative um emotion or you know i don't know how else to describe that but like 
But yeah, basically in his own words, thinking about it for months and stewing over it. Erwin said that Pardo seemed embarrassed about this as well um, and also was embarrassed because his finances were like fully put on display in the court hearings and he didn't like that at all, which is kind of hypocritical because if you think about it, he literally, some of his fraudulent activity at work was looking through other people's personal information, you know, like included in things like their salary. So it's really hypocritical, isn't it? Like, that he'd be so upset about his salary, you know, like being seen in a in a court. It's just yeah, ridiculous. very hypocritical. Oh, but girl, you're about to say the best thing, and this is such a power move. <laughs> so tell him. Pa- yeah, I know. So Pardo also told him that his mother, that he and his mother were barely speaking at the time, and his mother had actually also been sat with Sylvia's family at the divorce hearing, which had also upset him. What a fucking power move. Yes. I, I love that. Sylvia must have been like, even your own mum doesn't even like, yeah, come on, like, get uh, over yourself. You can imagine, that's so cinematic, that that idea of, like, the mum walking in and, like, turning her back on her son. Yeah, and then just, like, being like, goodbye, I'm going to sit on <laughs> this side of the court today. And also, because it's just a divorce court as well, it's not even like how you would imagine in a film, you know, where the court's like completely full and there's loads of people. It would just be painfully obvious because there'd be like, what, 10 people maximum in there. <laughs> yeah. And like, it'd be dead loud, like her like, click, clack, click, clack, or like walking <laughs> along. <laughs> and then like going and sitting there, like you could, you'd be able to hear like the chairs moving and creaking and yeah. stuff like that. You'd hear like, the, you'd hear that, ooh. <laughs> yeah. like the room it like the tension go like oh <laughs> oh but that says something about your character of your mum sitting with your, your the person you're divorcing well yeah i think the thing was the mum was one of the people as well she was at the altar with the bride that he jibbed off in the 80s so she saw him do that and she obviously seen him you know abandon his grandson and obviously you know as much as a mother might love a child you're also going to have that love for your grandchild. And if you know that, like, your child is upsetting that grandchild, you know, that's going to kind of solidify, I think, what what side you end up picking. Oh, no. 100%. So, and also, you know, good on the mum. There's so many people who will, like, just stick by their, like, children who are trash, you know, like, and it's like, oh, my God, shut up. Like, just, <laughs> you know... Let them take account, like you know, responsibility for themselves, you know, um, and that's what this mum does, which she's fab. So well done, I don't, Pardo's mum. I don't think he's redeemable though, girl, because you know what he did on November thirteenth. Go on, tell us. He purchased his fifth weapon from Gunworld. So oh. at this point, he's now got five guns. Yeah. He also went and bought a hose and a Delwatt compressor, a tank of fuel, for his shed. One week before Christmas, the marriage of Bruce Pardo and Sylvia Pardo was ended in a bare bank court. Pardo agreed to pay his ex, now ex-wife $10,000. $10,000? She must have had some money then. Yeah. She kept her well. wedding rings and she, she kept the dog. Good honour. Yeah, good. She should be keeping the dog. I wouldn't trust Bruce with a dog. No way. Can't look after himself. I wonder where he's got all this money from there. I know. Yeah, this doesn't add up, does it? No. But, so a month later on the 19th of December, Pardo priced a plane ticket to visit Erwin's family again in Canada. He returned on the Monday. So a mon- he purchased $650 in cash to get a ticket to the closest airport that was nearest to 
the Irwin residence. So the departure time was 12.20am on Christmas Day and it was due to return on the 8th of January. In the week before Christmas, he rented a Dodge Caliber and a silver Toyota Rev4. He packed maps of the US, uh, of the south, south of... He packed maps of southwest US and Mexico in the car, as well as provisions such as water, food, clothes, a laptop, a desktop. <laughs> a desktop! <laughs> that got me. A desktop. <laughs> like, as well as fuel. But, we, I mean, we do need to remember it was 2008. Desktops were definitely more of a thing in 2008. Um, but it's kind of like... Are you planning on uh, on setting up shop somewhere that you need a desktop? Like... Get your monitor and your mouse and your keyboard and the tower and the speakers. <laughs> That's what I mean, I thought, bloody hell. Um, so it's very clear that he's planning on going somewhere. On Christmas Eve 2008, Pardo's neighbour had a conversation with him. He had told the neighbour in, in, in the early evening he was off to a Christmas party. So Pardo was absent from midnight. Pardo was absent from the Midnight Mass at his local church, despite registering to be an usher that night. Hmm. Strange. Yeah, you wouldn't register to be an usher, but to be fair, I've registered the things and not turned up. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. <laughs> me too, I've done that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm totally, a bit... see you there, and then just not done it. <laughs> you do that every week. At 11.25pm, Bruce Jeffrey Prado, dressed in a Santa Claus suit, knocked on the door of his former in-law's house, occupied by about 25 people. Moments after the door opened, Pardo pulled out two handguns and immediately shot his eight-year-old niece, Katrina, the daughter of Letitia Yukoposki, a sister of Sylvia Pardo, as she ran to greet him, injuring her in the face. He then fired indiscriminately at fleeing party-goers. Police speculate that Pardo may have stood over and pointed, pointedly executed some of the victims using other handguns because obviously mm. he had multiple of these. That's horrendous. Yeah, but a good thing that I want to point out about, obviously that's not good, but a kind of positive thing I want to point out just there is that Katrina did actually survive um, and she was okay. Basically, she was she was injured. But she did survive, um, so she did, she didn't um, succumb to her injuries, um, thankfully. But I thought, how horrifying is that, being eight? Seeing someone dressed as Santa on Christmas Eve and you've ran to the door to greet them. Like, that's just, it's just so callous, isn't it? It's horrible. You'd never trust anyone ever again. No, no. Because, it, and it, oh, it is, it's just so nasty. Um, but I'm so, ha- like, I, I am thankful that she was, she was okay. Um, after the shootings, Pardo unwrapped the package containing the homemade flamethrower and used it to spray racing fuel, and used it to spray racing fuel gasoline to set the home ablaze. And again, this is just another thing to show how calculated this was. The fact he went to the sort of effort to package it up like a present, like why? That's sadistic. You know, it's very um theatrical isn't it and like you know like he's really he's he's thought about it he's he's gone to all this effort you know like he hired out this outfit in like the september didn't he so it's just it's ridiculous it's not it's really horrible like the amount of thought that went into this it's like um do you remember the clown one we did yeah yeah very thought out very meticulous yeah it is especially Mm -hmm. like going up to the door yeah so 
Nine people in total died from either gunfire or flames. Three and three others were wounded. Katrina was shot in the face with severe but non-life-threatening injuries. A 16-year-old girl was also shot and, and wounded in the back. A 20-year-old woman who suffered a broken ankle jumping out of a second-floor window. There was one survivor who ran out, escaped and called the authorities pretty much as the attack was happening. Um, so she got out very quickly um, and escaped to a neighbour's house. Due to the intensity of the fire, identification of the victims was done through dental and medical <sighs> records. And uh, well, it took them an hour and a half to get in and the flames were just horrendous because apparently they had, um, I think when he was spraying the flamethrower, there was open fires, you know, like proper old fashioned open fires on, obviously with it being Christmas time. Um, and so that just, it, and once it had gone on to that as well, it just spread like ridiculously apparently. Um, which is why it was it was so among the victims was Sylvia, whose cause of death was from a gunshot wound, as well as his mother and father in law, so Sylvia's parents, also from gunshot wounds, two brothers in laws and three sister in laws, as well as his former nephew Michael, who was just seventeen, who died from the fire. Thirteen children were orphaned after the shooting, and two others lost at least one parent. Because if you think, like, that, it was pretty much the entire family were in this one house, you know, there was 25 people, the effect that must have had on this family, it's just, it's so horrible. Like, I don't, I don't understand, like, uh, the magnitude of, like, the hatred, obviously, that he must have been feeling or something like that, it just, what, it's so cruel, you know, like, to do that to this whole family, Um, it, it must be really hard and especially all those kids 13 children were orphaned like it's heartbreaking it really is it's so not, it's just awful so after the attack pardo put on his street clothes and drove his dodge caliber rental car to his brother's house in slimar what yeah he got away so he he, he basically did the attack and i think he must have realized like whoa this fire is getting out of control i'm going to go so um from the gunshot wounds obviously it was like sylvia the mum and dad and that but um, the majority of them died from the fire like they were just trapped it you know like from that um and so he basically did he, he got away and this is where we find out a little bit about what his plans were so um Basically, once he'd gotten in his car, he drove to his brother's house in Slimar, uh, which was about 30 miles away from the crime scene. His brother was not present in the, his brother wasn't at home at the time. Um, it was initially believed that Pardo intended to flee to Canada by plane since he'd bought an airline ticket um, to a flight on Air Canada. Um, and obviously, we know that he'd called that friend as well and, and was intending to visit but investigators aren't sure whether this was to sort of throw them off um, and think that he'd fled to Canada because he had those plans because obviously we know there was lots of stuff in a bag um, in his car and like maps and stuff like that so it was probably more likely that that was like a decoy so they'd go and search in Canada but really he'd be in Mexico um, so he really had thought this out um, however he suffered th uh, really bad like severe third degree burns on his arms stemming from obviously the blaze that he caused and it actually made the suit like burn into his skin like some of it 
um, and it like melt into it and things like that and he had to like rip it from his skin basically when he took it off yeah it was it's it's pretty grim um, and so obviously he was quite badly injured uh, so Pardo then decided to go against this initial plan and went to his brothers instead uh, police found £17,000 in cash cling wrapped on his legs inside a girdle um, his rental car his rental car which was parked one block from his brother's house had been rigged um, basically with remnants of his Santa suit that would detonate the car with black powder if removed um, and also recovered were more handguns that were empty um, with at least 200 rounds of ammunition so it kind of shows like I think if that fire hadn't got as out of control as it did, because obviously he didn't, I think it was a surprise to him, you know, that like the fire was, was as bad as it was. He would have, I think he would have done much worse with those guns, you know, like to the rest of the people and, you know, in the house and stuff. Um, so it just shows like how, you know, how like his planning that he had. Um, at... At 2.20am, Pardo's brother came home and found him on the couch with a self-inflicted shotgun wound to his mouth. He was still wearing his wedding ring. It was theorised that not only did Pardo plan on massacring his former wife and her family, but also planned on murdering his own mother, as well as his ex-wife's attorney before fleeing. Um, but obviously, because of the bands, he couldn't like go and carry that out because I'm guessing he was in a lot of pain, considering they were quite severe, um, because the fabric had obviously melted onto his skin. Um, at Pardo's house in Montrose, uh, police recovered five empty boxes for semi-automatic handguns, uh, a Bellini M2 tactical shotgun, and a container for a high-octane fuel tank ga- of gasoline. Um, and they also found what was described as a virtual oh, yeah, bomb right. factory in his home. Uh, so this shows like what was going on, like in those months leading up. Like all he must have done, I think, is like fantasize and you know, like think of this grand plan that he had to, you know, like go through this massacre. Um, and obviously, police then went and found all this stuff, and they've come up with that theory. I'm not; they've never disclosed why they think the theory of killing his mother and and the attorney. But obviously, there must be some sort of um, evidence to back that up, and that's why they've theorised that. But it's just it's just horrific, isn't it? Um, but yeah, it's it's a really it's just it's crazy and and considering it only happened in two thousand and eight, I'd not really heard of this case until we were looking for cases to do, um for obviously these weeks like um December January sort of time and then we were coming across some cases and I looked at this one and it's because of just how like awful it is i thought that's so strange i've never heard of it before obviously knew like they were having this big party and things like that and it's just it's awful because i understand building up a hatred for someone because obviously there must have been lots of bad blood and things like that but then going to the extent of like being like right do you know what a, you know i'm gonna do i'm gonna massacre a whole entire family because i'm angry it's very 
I don't know. I'll never, I'll never understand stuff like that. But well, that's what I mean. Like one of these things where it is kind of like preventable. Like that gun store. He went in there five times. You know, like he waited a month each time and, and was clearly, you know, building towards something. Why does anyone need five types of the same gun? No one needs five types of the same. Like, why is that not being flagged? You know, uh, Dean, tell us what we're doing on Freaky Friday. Oh, Freaky Friday this week. We are looking at the myth or mystic creature of Krampus. Oh, I'm excited <laughs> for that one. Yeah, and it's a little bit more upbeat after this quite sad episode. Yeah, yeah, definitely trying to do more. Like, I, we like to try and balance it out, don't we, with, like, the... Especially if we do a really heavy true crime one. Like, with this yeah. one, where this one is heavy because of, like, the amount of victims and stuff like that. And uh, We try and do, like, nice, upbeaty sort of ones, like mythical creatures and things like that. And yeah. especially, like, with a Christmas twist with Krampus and our Yule lads last week. But we know you guys really like these true crime ones as well, so that's why we're doing that. Yeah. Um, but as always, thank you very much for joining us. If you want to reach out to us on our social medias, you can find us at Curiously Morbid Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find our Patreon at Curiously Morbid Pod on um, Patreon. We've got loads of great things on there, like morbid musings and um, extra content. You can even get our phone background of our cover art. And once you've subscribed for three months or more, we send you merch in the post, regardless of where you are in the world. So please check out our Patreon. We'd love to see you there. But in the meantime, stay curious, stay morbid. This has been Naughty Bear Production. Our show tune is Half Mystery by Kevin McLeod. Yes, McLeod.